Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast, presented by 13 Fishing Canada. Make your own luck. We're here to scratch that angling itch and talk everything fishing. Join us as we sit down with special guests from across the industry. Now, here's your hosts, Brandon Cater and Logan Lewis. What is going on, everyone? Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Logan Lewis, and I'm actually running this episode solo again here. Um, but we had a really good sit down with TJ Erickson, uh, one of the guides of the States. Really good conversation. This is actually going to be part one um, of, a, of a two-part episode here because we sat down for about, I think it was like two hours or something like that. So definitely wanted to break it up. But we get into some great topics here in this part one episode, specifically around some spring walleye, which I know obviously right now with this episode coming out, lots of lots of seasons are opening up and people are targeting those spring walleye. So uh, definitely something you're going to want to check out here. We get into that in about the 20-minute mark of the, uh, of the interview there. But uh, before we hop into that interview... Definitely want to mention our sponsors. Um, of course, big thank you to 13 Fishing, our presenting sponsor. Uh, I actually just got my order that I talked about in the last couple episodes um, of some of the Omen Muskie rods, their new new telescopic muskie rods. Um, definitely excited to try those out. I'll be taking those up north with me guiding. Um, and I guess this will actually be the last episode that goes out before I, I make the trip up there. Um, we'll have some bank that'll be going out as well for that time. But anyways, picked up some of those rods and also try, tried out some of their new uh, tackle boxes that they have, the new line there. And um, been very happy with those so far. Nice and clean. Uh, really like the, the, the way that they open is a little bit different than some of the other tackle boxes that I've had. So uh, definitely be excited to use those, especially up north with some of the big baits. They have some nice deep ones in the lineup as well. But uh, yeah, big thanks to 13 Fishing for uh, for being our presenting sponsor. And you can use code WEEKENDWARRIORS to save yourself 15% on their website, across the entire website of all their brands. But uh, next up, Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation. Huge thanks to them as well for coming on. I know uh, today actually that we're recording this was the last day to get your draws in for your big game here in Saskatchewan. Um, but besides that, they've got some awesome content as far as a magazine. I know we like to talk about that. Uh, that comes with their membership, 20, 25 bucks, something like that. Not a huge amount. And you get so much great stuff from them as far as content, lots of tons of emails coming out too, as far as things you can help out with, as far as, um, I think one thing I saw was to do with some, some pheasant cages, stuff like that. Uh, some great, great things that they put on and, uh, yeah, get some access to some land as well with the, with the new rules and stuff that have come in place here in Saskatchewan. So be sure to check them out. And uh, I guess we'll hop into the interview after this, but a quick word here from Lucky Bastard Distillers. Check out the show notes below. Use our code. Uh, they ship Canada-wide to save yourself some money. But yeah, without further ado, here's a quick word from Lucky Bastard Distillers, and then we'll hop right into the episode. There are certain moments in life that really stick with you. This is definitely one of them. The thrill of the deal, my friends, is not a myth. Prohibition is over, Saskatchewan. Ask about LB's legendary Birmingham's Dill Pickle Vodka. After all, it's not a party until someone pulls out the pickle. Tours and tastings available. Call or stop by 814 47th Street East. And tonight, why not mix your Caesar with some lucky bastard? It's the one with the pickle in it. 
Cool. Well, we've already been talking for about half an hour here without without recording, so we figured we uh, may as well hit the record button here. But I guess first time getting to talk to you over voice. We talk on on Instagram a fair amount there in the last couple of months, and finally able to to get us to sit down. But I'm sure I've already said in the intro of this episode, we got TJ on today. Um, and I guess for people who haven't seen you on Instagram or YouTube and, or been out in your boat with you, who are you? And uh, I guess, what do you do? You bet. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me on. I'm, like I said, I, I know we were talking a little earlier, but I I only started listening to podcasts like a year or two ago. I was never really like, oh, I'm not really into podcasts. And I started listening to podcasts and I was like, wow, these are awesome. You know, when I'm out scouting for guide trips or whatnot, I'll just throw it in my ear and pop on. So I... I uh, found you guys a couple of years ago and I was like, wow, this is, this is some good stuff right here. You had awesome people on. So uh, I've been really enjoying it. And so, yeah, my name is TJ Erickson, uh, like you said, and I live in kind of North central Minnesota here in Park Rapids. Um, and it's kind of a touristy area. Uh, I teach during the school year, guide like crazy in the summertime. Uh, in the meantime, do some YouTube stuff and do some photography stuff for different companies and really kind of all over the place with, yeah. with fishing and all the things that I'm doing. But I uh, grew up actually in northern Minnesota, basically right along the border in Roseau. And, you know, I grew up on the Roseau River, tiny little river. But I just remember so many, you know, like when you're talking, how did you get into fishing? Like that river right there is how I got into fishing. We had, you know, it's just tiny, all a bunch of little yeah. pike. And I remember the very first time my neighbor Dave, he got this inflatable raft of all things. And it had like some little thing that you could put on and mount a trolling motor to it. So I don't know how we did it, but we got two of us, a big deep cycle battery and that 12 or that little 12 volt trolling motor on the back of that thing. And we would, I'm not kidding you, every single day mm-hmm. in the summer, we were up and down. I mean, we're rolling with the trolling motor, so we're not going very far. And so we were going up and down probably the same quarter mile stretch of river. I had a dam on one side of my house, so I couldn't right. go one way. So we're going one direction, fishing the same spots all the time, catching the same hammer, hammer handle pike all over the place and it's uh oh man it was i could never get sick of it you know we did that every single day all summer long and i'm like i don't want to be done we were done till dusk whatever it was so that's really where you know fishing started for me is um basically from that age i i just started loving it and then basically as soon as i got my license we were only 20 minutes from lake of the woods you know and that's just an unreal fishery and honestly didn't really know how good i had it so as soon as I got my license, my dad let me take his 1975 Luntai, you know, just a beast of a boat. And we were <laughs> out route cruising around Lake of the Woods and that thing. And man, some of those days that we had, like I said, I just totally took it for granted because I didn't know right. anything else. And we were just having these unreal days fishing and on the ice too. We just Baja our pickups through the lake and across the mm-hmm. drifts and all that kind of stuff, getting stuck all over the place. And so really uh, fished Lake of the Woods hard uh, most of my life. And my wife and I, uh, she was a a teacher at the time as well. And so we got teaching jobs in Park Rapids. So moved to this area and my whole plan, you know, growing up was like, okay, I'm going to teach during the school year and I'm going to guide on Lake of the Woods in the summertime, you know, and then we ended up moving to Park Rapids, which is a little different than, than Lake of the Woods. Park Rapids is, you know, North central Minnesota. And we have a lot of like deep, clear lakes. And so Lake of the Woods is stained. It's, you know, muddy. It's fish is very different. I get to Park Rapids and uh, I don't know what the lakes that you're on over there a lot, but th- these lakes here are like crystal right. clear, super clear, you know, like 20 some foot clarity and fish can be super spooky. And so I'm starting to do some of these walleye leagues when I move here and I'm like, what are these fish yeah, doing? Totally different. Like I can't just go drag some of the flats. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I can't just go drag some of these flats, like on Lake of the woods and just catch fish like crazy. And 
So I really, man, I realized how little about walleye fishing specifically that I knew uh, moving to the area because these lakes just fish so differently. And it was really kind of cool. Um, so then I was like, you know, I love fishing. I've always wanted to guide. So I, you know, started to get to know a few guys. And um, in our area, it's, it's kind of unique. In the Park Rapids area, pretty much all of the guides are teachers. Oh, really? We have a pretty, pretty cool group of guides and all of them teach. It's just a perfect summertime gig, you know, just goes so well with right. that. And, uh, you know, I got to know, got to know a few of these guys. One of them, uh, Jason Durham, he's, uh, you know, I, I knew Jason before I even moved to the area. Jason's a big guy with clam and he does a ton of stuff with them. And, uh, so I've seen him on some of the TV shows and seen him on some yeah. things. And so Jason calls me up one day. He's like, Hey, I hear you want a guide. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. Like, that's kind of my plan. And he's like, okay, well, we'll get you, you know, we'll, we'll help you out this summer, get everything set up. And, but you know, this winter, so this is like the springtime. And he goes, you know, we're actually, there's a angling buzz with the Linders, you know, they're, they're going up to a Cusco Falls Lodge and we're looking for a couple more guys to come with. Any chance you'd want to come with? Of course. Like, um, <laughs> yep, <laughs> of course. So, you know, and one of the things we were doing and you'll appreciate this is, uh, they were trying to get a bunch of bourbon yeah. content. Well, who and wouldn't want that, so right? <laughs> we go up there and <laughs> right, exactly. Well, that's, what's it's funny too, growing up on Lake of the Woods, seeing bourbon all over yeah. the ice. When my dad, when I told my dad, I was going up, oh yeah, we're, we're going to go up on this trip. You know, it's like 13 hours North of where we're at. And he's like, it's like, yeah, we're going to be targeting bird. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, that's what we, you know, we used to throw those, those things out on the fish. ice all the time, <laughs> and, you know, right. And so, uh, so I was like, yeah, it was, so being able to go, like kind of get to know Jason and there was another few guides from the Park Rapids area. And that's really kind of what started things. And honestly, looking back, I look back at that trip sometime. I don't even know how many years ago that was now. Uh, you know, five, six years ago, I look back at that trip and these guys had been guiding for a while. And like Jason's been in the fishing industry forever. And I'm sure they just saw me coming in and they're just like, who is this yeah. guy? Like he doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, but it was just super cool getting to know some of those guys. And, um, you know, even I got to know Nick Linder a little bit through that. And we still talk to this day, talk YouTube yeah. stuff here and there. Um, but that was really kind of where I started with some of the guiding stuff. And so, one summer I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this thing, you know? So I started, did my website, did all the marketing, did all that kind of stuff, set up this guide business. And, um, I mean, luckily things just like got going super mm -hmm. fast and all of a sudden bookings were coming in and, you know, then I started like, okay, this guiding is going super well. Like this is fun. I can make money fishing. This is awesome. And, uh, so then I'm starting to get the gears turning, you know, and growing up, I always loved filming everything mm -hmm. and, you know, even like when I was going to school in North Dakota for a few years and North Dakota just has unreal duck hunting. And so I'm like, I have so much footage from back in the day, you know, when we'd be duck hunting these sloughs or duck hunting these fields. And, you know, I never did anything with it then, but I've always just had a love for like filming stuff and like capturing it and, you know, watching it yeah. back. So I was like, I'm going to start making some videos on YouTube. I had no idea what YouTube was. Like, obviously I knew what YouTube was, what but you're how getting yourself works. into? <laughs> I'm like, no, I had, didn't hardly do any research. I was like, I don't know. I think I could just start a channel yeah. here. So I started doing that. And, um, my wife came out with me the very first time and, you know, she taking some videos, taking some pictures. She, uh, she's a photographer. And so, you know, she had some of the know-how, some of that, you know, video stuff is very different from yeah. some of the photo stuff. Um, but so she helped out and 
it's like trying to learn how to edit this stuff and I was like oh my gosh this is above my head and I go back and look at some of those early videos and I was like hmm that was I mean I remember hearing Jay Stevens talk about that a lot too like some of his first videos he's like I just shake my head at some of the stuff oh, that totally. I did or some of the stuff that I filmed and uh, I mean that that's so cool though because I mean it just shows the yeah. growth um, and so I was like well I'm gonna start a YouTube thing and so I started filming some of my videos I was like I'm a teacher I love teaching you know, I'm a fishing guide, love fishing. So I love teaching people fishing. I was like, why not throw some of this stuff out on YouTube and see what happens? So I started doing some of that and started getting some traction with that. And, um, you know, and then hit the point where I was able to start making a little bit of money with that. And I was like, wait, I can actually make money doing this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was, that was a pretty cool stage. And, um, so then from there I started learning more about the videography side of things and the photo side of things. I have so much still to learn, you know, I'm by no means would be like a pro or a master at any of this. This is stuff that I'm just still learning about and started taking some more pictures. So then, you know, just with some of the company relationships that I had built through YouTube and through guiding and through some of that, you know, just some of these relationships with these companies, they're like, Hey, you know, some of the pictures you're putting out are pretty, pretty good. Like, would you ever be interested in doing some kind of like freelance photography for us and taking some pictures for our websites or social media? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And right away, you know, I had my wife coming up with me because I was like, okay, I want to make sure these things are good. And, uh, and the more and more I did it, I was like, this is, this is a lot yeah. of fun. And it's kind of funny even seeing our differences. Like my wife's a portrait wedding. She does a lot of that kind of stuff. And she has a very good eye for that. And it's funny, like, you know, the fishing industry is just such a different yeah. world, like things that you're looking for. And, um, so she was like, why are you taking a picture like that? And I was like, well, it's, you know, yeah. to- the fishing totally people understand, yeah. trust me. <laughs> yeah. Why are you almost putting that camera in the walleye or in the water trying to get a picture of that walleye? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you know how much that camera is, right? I was like, um, yeah. it was probably one of her cameras. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. She's been, I do have to break on my, she's been so generous of like letting me use some of her mm-hmm. stuff you know and she's she started the her photography thing around the same time I started guiding um we both just kind of took a big leap of faith with some of this stuff starting our side businesses and you know she's full time with it now and she's just killing it um but yeah she's been she's been very generous letting me use some of her gear now I've inherited some of her old cameras and stuff so I can um shoot some of these pictures so yeah it kind of has just morphed like from guiding to YouTube to some of this photo stuff to doing a little bit of all of it and um you know, and then mix in some teaching and coaching and that, and life gets pretty busy, but it's, uh, man, it's, it's a ton of fun. And I don't know, just some of the opportunities that I've had and that's, I don't know, I, I love, love every minute of it. And you know what, we talked a little bit too, but I'm just, I'm an electronics junkie, yeah. you know, so that's a lot of what someone started the YouTube thing too, is like anything electronics. One, I needed to learn, but two, then I can now share some of the stuff that I've yeah. learned and I'm spending hours and hours on the water all summer long. So I love love electronics love live imaging and so yeah that's kind of where i've been where i'm at and really i don't know it's been been cool just seeing things spread and opportunities come about and you know just like how you guys shared you know during covid you guys like well we kind of want to start this thing and you know seeing this grow for you guys it's just it's just so cool seeing where some of these opportunities go and you know people a lot of times see the hard work or see the the end of it and they're like oh you know that must be so nice to get that for free or to get paid to do that Mm -hmm. and you know, it's like, okay, yeah, but you don't, you didn't see the hours and hours and yeah, hours of work exactly. that goes into yeah. it <laughs> and the hours that still go into it and getting to bed at 11 o'clock midnight after a guide trip and cleaning stuff up and all right, I'm up at four the next morning to get out on the water and either scout or take people yeah. out. And, you know, it's, 
I, I love every minute of it, but man, there's times where it's, it's oh, tiring. Yeah. So it's, it makes uh, for good sleeps at least it's been <laughs> as a soon lot. as your head hits that pillow, you're out, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Those are the ones where you're like, I went out fishing leech last weekend and it was a long week of school. You know, we're getting towards the end of school here. So kids are a little crazy. And I was just tired and we were getting up early to go fish leech. And I, uh, wait, it was one of those ones where I wake up and I'm like confused on what yeah. day it is. Like, do I go to school right now? Like, what is, am I guiding right now? Like, am I still in yeah. school? You know, like, did I miss the bus? Yeah, exactly. You just don't even know where yeah. you're at. So it's, uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And it's been, it's been a fun ride so far. And I'm looking forward to, uh, some of the opportunities that are coming. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that has to go in our books right now as the top, uh, who are you segment. That was definitely the most in-depth one, but really good one that we've got, right? Because it's a lot different than like, like I listen to spin chicklets quite a bit for a hockey podcast and like they can, they can Wikipedia hockey DB their guys and be like, this is, they have this award, this, they did this, they played here. Like you can look up that stuff. Right. But lots of the people that we have on, it's like, yeah, there, you can, you can look up to a certain extent about them, but really you've got to be like, who, like, what do you like get it from the person? Right. And sometimes it's like, ah, I do YouTube, I guide, that's, that's got it, right? Or something like that. And so it's, it's nice to get the actual full scope of it all, right? And I think, I think one thing that there was a lot, a lot in there, but the one thing I thought was pretty cool was you say that lots of the teachers are guides as well. Like to me, that that's, it, you said it's kind of cool that it's that way. I think it's cool that, that there is that group and these people or these kids are getting taught too by, by people who enjoy this as well. Because I mean, lots of time, I, at least for some of my schooling, lots of the teachers may be older, stuff like that, maybe weren't into that as much or they had, they had different hobbies. Right. But to have that many people by the sounds of it that are into fishing as well and are teaching the, the younger people, I think that would be a pretty cool experience for those kids. eh? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like, you know, it's so funny. I, uh, when I started making some of these YouTube videos, you know, and some of my students start there, I get kids come up to me like, Mr. Erickson, my dad watches all your videos. And like, <laughs> Mr. Erickson, I saw the fish you caught the other day. And they're always, yeah. where'd you get, my dad wants to know where you caught that fish, you know, and it, it's so funny. So like yeah. seeing them, uh, and like, honestly, it, it, it just makes me so happy because you see some of these kids and they get, they get excited about it. And that's one of the things that I love about guiding too, is like, you get to like spark that interest. Like I just remember my yeah. days, like I said, on the river and how excited I was about fishing and now seeing these kids and like see them like, Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. And mm-hmm. seeing these kids talk about it. And yeah, it's really unique. You know, when you talk about guiding and how a little bit different it is, you know, so growing up on Lake of the woods, it's a lot of, a lot of the guides are through the resorts. Um, a lot of the guides are, um, through that. I know, like you said, you're leaving here shortly to go up yeah. and do some guiding. Uh, you know, that how, just how different some of that is. Like a lot of those are like, Hey, you're guiding with the resort, you're guiding through this because they're either flying in spots or they're kind of these destination. And, yeah. you know, our area isn't necessarily like a destination fishing location by any means. It's not like a leech lake, a red lake, Lake of the Woods. Those are close. Like I'm right. about 30 minutes here from leech, you know, and, um, but Park Rapids, it's close to the headwaters of the Mississippi. And, you know, so there's, it's just tons of lakes and it's just beautiful country up here. And right. so we get a lot of tourism. And, you know, so we don't get a lot of people that are here like, oh, we're going to go, you know, like when people go up and you're there you know, just for the fishing, guys, right? They're going up and they're like, okay, right. I'm here to catch a 50 inch pike, you know, yeah. sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, that was one of the things I had to first learn from, from Durham was he was like, a lot of times you're going to be taking out families that this is the one time they fish all year and they don't really know a lot about what they're doing. And they, they just want to learn. They just want to have a good yeah. time. And, you know, it took a little different perspective growing up on Lake of the Woods. I'm like, everyone's here to catch limits of walleyes and catch giant walleyes. And like, 
people here to learn fishing. And I mean, we still get a lot of clients that are like, hey, you know what, we want to go out and we want to try to catch our limited walleyes. We want to go try, you know, whatever it might be. You want to try to try catch big walleyes. And, but it's just a very different, you know, and it's all kind of through our own. Like I had to kind of start my own business and start this. It's like all kind of self self-run and self-marketed as far as that goes, you know, not being affiliated with a resort or anything like that. So I think it's so cool yeah. how many different opportunities there are in the fishing industry and like for guiding, like you guys can go up there for uh, like your, how many weeks are you going up there? You said, uh, basically a month is what I'll be up there. Yeah. For. So you can go up for a month and guide, like how cool of an opportunity is that? Or yeah, like exactly. all those guys that go up to Wollaston, you know, or something like that, like go guide yeah. for the summer. And you know, we don't, it's such a different area up here um as opposed to some of your destination fishing locations so it's yeah. uh it's cool it's cool all the opportunities and like seeing some of these families that finally get their kids on fish for the first time or and caught something other than a panfish off the dock and whether it's a bass or whatever it is they're just like pumped up and honestly that's, oh, okay. that's my favorite part of it you know yeah and then same thing with like the youtube side of things i don't know how many people i've had reached out you know i'm a small YouTube channel and you know, you see like these Jay Siemens and these guys that are just, you know, tons of followers. And, but yeah. even with the size of the channel that I have, it's like so many people are reaching out and be like, Hey, I just watched your video, went out and tried it. And we just caught a bunch of fish. Like, I just want to say mm-hmm. thanks. It's like, that's so cool. Um, because yeah. I remember doing that, like watching Tom Bowley videos or whatever it was like, okay, how am I going to fish these walleyes in the weeds or whatever? And like learning from that. And, um, it's just really cool to be able to kind of, pass that on you know especially to the younger generations um, right it's it's such a cool opportunity yeah and i i think that's for sure a thing that's a difference right like you mentioned between if you're guiding up at a, a fly-in place or or whatnot it's basically that's the only reason that someone's up at the lodge right is, is it's fishing first right so um i had a guy that i i talked to on instagram from up in, in northern saskatchewan here and um rest where he is now and he was he was telling me i know he guided up up north as well for a couple of years or quite a few years and he was saying there might be some people there that aren't there just for the fishing kind of thing so he suggested a book to me and it was basically um i think it was like a naturalist guide to the arctic or something and i've read that book and it's just all these different like about the birds or about the uh, northern lights all all these different things explaining why the sun doesn't go down all summer stuff like that mm-hmm. right and it's it's kind of people might be more interested in that or you can sprinkle that in your day and kind of entertain them more than just the fishing. And I, I think it's also cool with, with your side of it too, where you're taking out families because I, not that I've guided in that sense, but when you take friends out who hardly fish, like just this May long took, took some friends out and, and they don't get to fish as much, but we went out, out fishing and we were catching perch, pike, walleye, catching everything. And, uh, my buddy's girlfriend's pumped about a 24 inch pike. And I'm like, I don't even think twice about that fish, but I understand that. And it's like, it's cool to see how pumped up people could be. Right. And I think that's, that's something that's awesome. And then relating it back to the being a teacher as well. I definitely Mm -hmm. noticed like I've been into fishing for a very long time, but that maybe wasn't always the cool thing to be into. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you can start to see that shift happen with those kids, when, especially to be, to think that their teacher's cool for doing it too. Cause right. How many, there's lots of kids that are like, Oh, teachers, right. Something like that. Right. Like they don't think that highly of their teacher cause they don't like school or something like that. Right. And so it's kind of cool to see that shift happen because I noticed it as I got older, I could cont- continue to be into fishing and lots of people that maybe weren't into it as much, or they'd only do it a little bit. Now I see how heavily they're getting into the fishing as well. And it's awesome to see. And it's starting to, as you get older, become kind of the the cool thing to do, to be going and doing that stuff. But when you can start 
transitioning that even just to the outdoors, but transition that into school age kids and get them excited about that. I think that's a, a really special thing to do as well. So they're, they're lucky to have that for sure as students down there with, with all the different people. And obviously you have good opportunities, right? Like you said, tons of lakes around you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like, um, going back to kind of when I was starting to get into some of the guiding things and talking with Jason Durham quite a bit and the, you know, a lot of people have known him from the fishing side of things. And then, you know, they've started doing like even an ice team podcast through clam and some of that kind of stuff. And he's talking yeah. and, you know, when people learn that he's a kindergarten teacher of all things, they're like, wait, yeah. what? But he's such a good storyteller and such a good talker. And, you know, as you can see, I'm a talker as well. And I can talk, especially when we start talking about fishing, it's like, all right, it's, it's game over. Like we're, right. we're done. If we bump into someone in the restaurant, my wife and I were just out eating the other day and, uh, bumped into two people at the restaurant that were talking fishing like oh i heard you were a guy and this is the kind of thing and i we exchanged phone numbers and like that kind of yeah. stuff and she's like oh i can't go anywhere with you but it's right. you know it's so cool when you get people that are interested in fishing or people that maybe aren't interested in fishing um, but being able to share some of those stories like you said like you read that book and people love mm-hmm. hearing that kind of stuff how many lakes are in the area or you know there's this lake or here's some st- some of the backstories behind this you know there's yeah. all those cool things that that people enjoy and it's so much more than just catching fish which, t- which took me a little while to learn um it's like i was like okay people are here to catch fish and that's it it's like no people are here to learn they're here to be entertained right. they're here to have a good time and um yeah there's so many facets to guiding we talk about that a lot just within our guide group it's like there's such a difference. People think like, okay, tournament anglers would be good guides. Guide would be good tournament anglers. And there's like such a difference between that. You know, a lot of times oh, for sure. your tournament anglers maybe aren't, won't be as good as guides. Your guides won't be as good as tournament anglers. And some sometimes somebody can do both very, very well. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. those guys that can. But it's uh, it's so interesting. You know, everyone's kind of got their, their things that they enjoy and their things that they're good at. And they can kind of fine tune that in order to give back to, to the fishing industry and f- kind of find their way and what they're doing so 100 percent, yeah ton of fun yeah totally totally agree there and that like i think if you just had the idea of it's just taking people out and catching as many fish as you can it's so much more than that like it's you're you're, at, you're not just trying to catch people to get people on fish it's entertaining them right like it's a big service aspect to it too and that's when uh, my last year was my first year guiding and i've never had any kind of job where it's um dealing with the public or like uh any job where you get tips stuff like that and it's totally different right like all my jobs were basically uh, working on a machine or something like that right like it's nothing nothing dealing with people and so when you got to be in a boat all day with people and like for for my case it's six days right it's a it's a longer stint it's like you gotta you gotta be able to talk you gotta be able to discuss more than just just fishing right like i've had some great conversation on the boat that have nothing to do with fishing and it's like yeah. And I'm sure being a teacher helps you too with that talking. Cause I'm sure there's lots of times where anyone know the answer to this and not a single hand goes up. You're like, Oh, I got to keep talking here. Until <laughs> right. Someone gets it. Right. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally agree with you. Oh, I, I don't doubt that at all. And I, I get the same thing from my girlfriend too. It's like, uh, buddy calls me and start talking fishing and she's like, can you just not answer the phone next time? <laughs> like, you just get, get stuck talking on the phone. And that's the nice thing about guiding. And I'm sure lots of you guys get together too, but like being up at the lodge from, for my case is like, it's all like-minded people. You get to talk fishing and no one really gets tired of talking fishing. Whereas I'm sure other people that you talk to that I would talk to about fishing down here, it's like, that was cool for about five minutes. We could probably end the conversation now though, kind of thing, right? Like it maybe gets old for them. So it's nice having those, those like-minded people to bounce ideas off of and just 
I guess, get better too. Right? That's how you get better as well. I'm sure you noticed that getting into the group of guys guiding, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And we're like constantly, I, I cannot say enough about the group of guides that we have in the area. We are, honestly, we're like a team. We all have our own individual businesses, but it is, hey, I can't make this trip. Can you, or I, I'm booked up on this day. Can you take these guys out? Or, you know, one of my buddies is a big time musky guide. Um, his name is Isaiah. And so if I ever get musky calls, I'm like, hey, Isaiah, got some musky trips for you. And a lot of times, okay, if he's booked up or if he's, I'm more of a walleye guy. So he'll send walleye. You know, we bottom line is we like, we just want people to enjoy their time and get the experience mm-hmm. they're looking for, whether that's with us or whoever. And I really appreciate that, that it's not like a cutthroat thing. Like, oh, what are you doing on my lake? Or like, oh, you know, this is, yeah. no, we're like, hey, have you been on this lake? Have you been catching fish? What have you been seeing for patterns? And um, it's, it's been super cool. We have the group of guys that we have. We've, we've often talked about like, man, if we would get together once a month and just talk fishing, it would, uh, it would be dangerous, you know? Oh, we, yeah. We would never leave. <laughs> yeah, so no, for that's sure. That's what's so cool about these podcasts, you know? Um, being able to, you know, the last time, um, the first podcast that I ever done was hopping on the JMO podcast. And it was just like, man, this was so cool. Like just being able to sit down with someone you don't know super well, you know, you maybe had contact through social media or whatever, but like, can you sit down and talk fishing? What's better than that? You know, it's stuff that we're doing all day, every day anyways, with people in our lives or whoever, or somebody at the restaurant. Like I said, it's, it's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And that's something I think I've definitely seen changing, at least for fishing. It's like, uh, maybe you want to say the the decade ahead of me uh for age like it seems like there's a lot of like oh you were catching fish there like that's that's where i'm catching fish or just they caught a big walleye and you're mad about it whereas i've def i've like consciously tried to build a group of friends from all over doesn't matter where they are if it's just on instagram or whatever but you're always pumped to see each other doing well you message each other like oh where are you fishing this week or i saw your post of this trout or this whatever this walleye and it's like that was sick and then uh, some of them you're able to get together with and it's all positive it's not a competition and and i think that's where things are able to grow and it's nice to kind of see that change you don't see as much of that negativity anymore and i think that helps just push not only the sport but the resource even further in a, in a good direction, right? Like, um, I've noticed a, a big shift in, in a lot of the people that I know, as far as the catch and release aspect, like, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with keeping fish, obviously, but, um, so the way things used to be, weren't always great either. And it's nice to see even just the ethical angling and how to actually handle a fish. Like that's great. You release the pike, but you're holding it by its eyes or something like that. Like we don't, you don't need to see that stuff like that. Right. And it's, it's nice to see those kind of changes happen. So I, I totally agree with you. It's have, having that environment and that, that positive group of, of people, the, the stuff you can learn is insane, but also you could be stuck talking for hours and not stuck, but you could be talking for hours and hours and, and time can really fly by when you're doing that too. But, um, I guess that's, we've already done 26 minutes somehow with this one. So <laughs> I was thinking we should get into some specifics here. Cause yeah, at least for lots of the lakes around here, if people start listening to this the second they pull out of their driveway, they're probably getting somewhat closer to some of their lakes here. And like you said, mm-hmm. uh, walleye openers happening all over the place right now. Uh, we opened up on May 5th down in the southern part of Saskatchewan here. And mm-hmm. I think, I don't know what day it was, but the north just opened as well for, for fishing too. So a lot of people are getting back on the water. And I think, I know you said you're an electronics junkie. We'll maybe save that because that could get that could be a very deep wormhole <laughs> to go through, right. but it could be could be good as well. So for people listening, that's going to be lots of live scope talks. So um, obviously a, a new, a, not new, but one of the newest technologies, right? That we have. So we'll definitely get into that. But I think maybe 
some people may be getting closer to the lake and targeting some walleye. So would you want to get into some spring slash early summer walleye stuff here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess where where i guess some things some easy things for for basics what what would you consider the basics i guess for for spring walleye in your opinion i know the lakes are different like you said everything like that right but i guess for you what's what's some of your basics yeah absolutely and that's even like within our area like there's you know four or five main lakes that i fish and all of them fish so differently like someone yeah. will ask me hey what are you what are you doing it's like well it depends on the lake that i'm on um but honestly kind of your general rule of thumb a lot of times in the springtime and going into the summer, a lot of times it's based off of water temp, you know, um, yeah. because I don't know what you guys are at for water temps there, but we've been heating up pretty good around here. Um, you know, a lot of times that in the forties, you know, I have my kind of general rules of thumb and there's, there's a lot of discrepancy within these, but you know, like in that forties, okay, that's kind of when that spawning is happening. That's kind of that early season stuff. And obviously then they're going to be up super shallow. You know, right. you start getting into some of the fifties, which is, you know, kind of what we're creeping into now and you're still seeing fish up shallow, but now they're kind of done spawning, you know, they're either in that stage where they're, okay, now we're taking it easy for a couple of days or all right, now we're going to start chomping because we got done spawning. We need to recoup and all that kind of right. stuff. So you get into some of the fifties. So like 40 degrees into that, you know, if there's some lakes, especially up, up North, um, that are a little bit later, you know, you're going to yeah. be looking at a lot of that shallow, shallow stuff, some of that shallow rock, shallow rubble. And it's amazing how shallow you can catch some of these walleyes and, mm-hmm. I, I still like, you know, two, three feet of water and you're casting up into the, like, you're not catching anything up there. And all of a sudden you whack a 24 inch wall and you're like, Oh, there's a there's fish up there, there you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it kind of starts progressing, you know, kind of where we're at right now in kind of the North central Minnesota is again, dependent on the body of water, but we're, you know, starting to creep into some of those fifties where those fish are done spawning. And a lot of them are still up shallow. Um, mm-hmm. but some of them are starting to kind of move off into some of those, first break lines um, we're already starting to see that which is i would say maybe a little early it's tough to say we had such a late spring like there's yeah. a time where it was like okay i read up ice off for opener but now we've been having a lot of like 80s and water temps are moving quickly um so we're already starting to see i was out um just the other day and i was assuming fish were going to be in six to ten feet and you know there are already some of them were off the first break line we were seeing fish up shallow but the ones that were eating um, they were in like that 16 ish feet off that first break line. And that's simply because there, that's where the bait was. Um, so yeah. you know, you're seeing some of that transition happening right now. And a lot of times where you're going to find those bait, um, you might not find as many fish sometimes early in the year like this. I saw way more fish shallow. Actually, I saw a ton of fish in six to 10 feet and we were casting at them. We'd catch maybe one or two. Um, but mm-hmm. the more aggressive fish were out a little deeper because that's where a lot of that bait was, you know, so they're yeah. there for a reason. They're there feeding. So if you can see some of those bait clouds, even if you don't see fish and, you know, we'll get into some of the live scope talk later, but that's yeah. one of the huge things that I almost didn't fish this one area that we were fishing because I saw a bunch of bait and no, I didn't see a fish, but there was so much bait. I didn't even see the fish mixed in oh, yeah. and as I got, yeah. you know, closer, those things started to move. Oh, there's one bigger mark in there. Like, oh, that's a walleye. Sure enough, mm-hmm. throw it a drop shot and you're working it past them and, you catch them, it's like, oh, okay. So then we're kind of getting to that. And actually some of the areas I heard some, even getting to some of the 60s, you know, so then in general, you know, once you're starting to get in some of the 60s, that's when they start kind of doing their big push up some of that deeper. And those are some of the best bites of the year. You know, we're kind of right on the cusp. We're still early for that. Um, We're kind of in that break line or shallow, um, depending on what weeds are doing. And anytime you can get some good weeds to, you know, you're going to find fish around those weeds because there's bait, there's forage, there's, um, you know, 
there's oxygen up in those when those weeds are coming up and there's just mm-hmm. some structure for them to hang out around. So we're seeing a lot of fish up shallow still, but more moving off into that break line. And soon we're starting to get some of that deeper, even when they start to move off into some of that mid lake structure, that's just yeah. a ton of fun right now. I was out actually on um, Leech Lake. Um, I don't fish that lake nearly as much, but I was out fishing Leech on Sunday last week and we assumed fish were going to be shallow because that's a pretty shallow lake. Um, they fish shallow and but we had absolutely dead calm and sunny and you know that's never great for walleyes even though you can have some good days doing it but leech mm-hmm. lake is kind of known like it it has to be half dangerous for the fish to really be snapping <laughs> yeah and so we were fishing some areas and it was fishing kind of some of the shallower rocky areas you know your typical early season and there was still definitely fish there and we were casting at them constantly trying to stay away from them, seeing on the live scope and they were just nothing was really going they just we catch yeah, one here, maybe one yeah. there but we moved out a little deeper. We were actually on like 14 to 16 feet on some of these flats and we were seeing these schools of fish. So that was kind of a pattern that was like, okay, this is a little early. But then with that flat calm, you know, we had to switch, you know, I'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk live scope stuff, but we had to switch it up to, you know, leeches and crawlers actually, which is everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's always a minnow bite this early. It's like, well, whatever, whatever they're going to bite on is what I'm going to throw. You know, you kind of yeah. got to have everything ready. And uh, yeah. so yeah, shallow transitioning into some of that deeper stuff um some of those first break lines especially if there's some good weeds starting to show up i i love when you can start to see them on this electronics you know yeah. you're, you're going on your side imaging and you see like okay there's a patch of weeds and then it turns to sand you know and then you just have just dots of fish and it's like yeah. oh that that is what we're looking for right there then you can pop the live scope down and just be casting to them yeah that mm-hmm. is that is such a fun bite and so we're we're kind of right on that post spawn bite here right now in our area at least um yeah where they're starting to slide out a little bit deeper yeah well that, and that's it's such a tough top uh, topic to cover right because lakes are so different like for my home lake buffalo pound that i spend lots of time at the spring um or in the spring it, it it's different we're basically a, a i always say it's a 15 foot mud bathtub there's i actually found a i found a drop we'll call it a drop that was three feet uh, had could actually see it on the live scope. I'd never seen it that way. I'd always seen it in the mapping, but I actually found a, that's a drop in that lake is three feet. So it was mm-hmm. a nice th- three foot. You could, you could see it and everything. And the fish were just sitting right at the base of that. But we've also, mm-hmm. like I was talking about earlier with how the fish seem to disappear in the winter and stuff, we are just getting up into that sixties in Buffalo right now. And that's definitely when the bites turned on. We were, I wasn't even marking any fish when it was like 42, 43. I was all over the entire lake, not seeing hardly anything. And what we were seeing for marks were most likely carp and stuff like that. Right. Mm So we weren't even seeing that many perch either on the live scope and stuff. But then now that we started to get into that, that 43, the next week it was 53, like it changed 10 degrees Mm -hmm. in a week, just warming Mm -hmm. up like crazy. Now that we're at that, like 58 to 60, the bites just seem to have, to have turned on and then but then you go another 45 minutes up the road and some areas of of last mountain are 60 and then the area that i went to was still what was it i don't even know if it was 50 i think it was 48 Mm -hmm. and i'm like it's big lake right but i'm like it's it's so hard to be if you're fishing around here this is what it's going to be because the water temp plays a big part of it right but i think that's uh definitely something to check out and it's also tough too when you're trying to talk about that stuff like and you say they're onto their first break line well say like a buffalo pound there's no break lines right, right. we just it's just the way it is right so it's yep. tough to do that but i mean a lot of lakes follow more of what you're talking about right as far as the break lines and and structure and stuff like that so i think that's that's pretty good representation for it it's funny that you say 
you're talking about most people are saying that this is a minnow time of year because I don't know if many people are doing around you with the leech trapping and stuff like that. Um, but up here, it's every, everyone that I know that has something to do with the fishing scene seems they're out putting traps around this time of year. They're getting their leeches and it's leeches, leeches, leeches for the most part, it seems like at early season at least, right? Everyone's dragging them, jigging them, whatever. Like it's it's all about the leeches and that's basically my whole spring tactic has just turned into slip bobbing because I find it so fun. But oh, yeah. um, I, I, I don't know if, if that's, are you guys doing slip bobbing much at all? I do a ton of it. Um, and mm-hmm. especially with a live scope, you know, so you can see these fish and something yeah. that's easy for clients. And it's kind of funny sometimes, you know, people like you're bringing out slip bobbers. Like this is what I used to do as a kid, you know? And it's like, Oh man, that's it's why it's such awesome. An effective, <laughs> yeah. Right. There's nothing yeah. better than seeing a, a bobber just dunk, go right down. Mm-hmm. And so, especially like when you need to get these, these baits away from the fish and they're somewhat lethargic, like being able to get that thing out there and let it just sit in front of their faces. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm loving slip bobbering right now. And another thing that I do a ton of is drop shotting, you know, cause essentially that's kind of like a controlled slip bobber and yep. you know, you can keep that off bottom. You can still cast it and move it. Um, but you're able to still feel that bite. You know, that's another part mm-hmm. of it is being able to feel the bite, but yeah, we're seeing a lot, you know, especially those big shallow flats. Those are areas that are holding a ton of fish right now. And sometimes you got to put in a little work with your electronics to drive through them. Yeah, but those big shallow flats, especially once some weed edges start showing up. I mean, we're seeing a ton of fish around those right now, especially if on some of those warmer parts of the lake where those green weeds are starting to show up. That's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you can just drive around. Again, it takes some some legwork right out of the gates to find them. Um, yeah. but when you can kind of get on schools of fish and kind of pitch at them or cast at them with slip bobbers, drop shots, jigs, whatever it is. I mean, the other day we were out, like I said, on leech, and it took. I don't know how many, a dozen maybe things that I threw at them just to find because, mm-hmm. of course, uh, we ran out of leeches. And we, oh, like, yeah. I have some crawlers here from sturgeon fishing. Like, I brought these with because you just never know what they're going to be biting on. And yep. we're going to throw these out. And so we started catching them on crawlers. They didn't want anything to do with the jig and minnow, you know. And I know you said leeches are a lot there. Was that on your Instagram story that you were out trapping a bunch of leeches? Yeah, I did. I did quite well. I had a yeah, lot of messages about that. Yeah, like you got a that. haul. Yeah, yeah, it was, so I guess like these, we're talking like, so it, it kind of, it's fluctuated. I've trapped it for a couple of years now, but we're talking like you're, it's going over your thumb. Like it's basically like your thumb may as well be a leech. Like some of these are, are big leeches and um, talking to some people, I didn't realize, like you talk about, I don't realize how good you have it. I just kind of, it's one of our dugouts and I just started trapping it. Like I didn't really go searching for it. And um, I guess down south here in Sask, it's a little, bit of a honey hole in the sense of the size of them and the numbers right so i didn't know how good i had it and i right found out pretty quickly from that story based <laughs> on the replies i had so yeah no it's a hundred bucks in your cooler worth of bait pretty quick yeah well and i actually yeah. talking about that i'm gonna be trying uh, one of my buddies that i guided with uh, he's up a bit further north in saskatchewan here and um when i've been trapping I, I don't i don't know if you've got to do much of it but it's usually just send it out in the evening come and check it early in the morning right and um it's fine at all but it, it's kind of sucks getting up that early to go grab some some mud worms basically right like it's like I'd, I'd rather do it differently so i'm gonna try he he says so he'll set it out after dark and then he'll come and check it at like midnight and his, his traps were he had like his five gallon pail was just the bottom it was just covered in leeches when Jeez. he was emptying out his traps so i was like oh, i might actually try that tonight after i'm done editing this episode and go and see how that works just as, as a trial because i'm like if i can set them out for three hours and 
that you could do that if I'm well, I'm going fishing tomorrow, so it could work perfectly for that. I don't have to get up, go check my traps, and then go out fishing to get the leeches right, so they don't just waste away all day. I can go out the night before basically and get my leeches. So yeah, that's something that that lots of us are doing for sure. Is is the leech trapping as a side note to your story there but yeah right no I was, yeah. when i just when i was a kid i don't know if you guys we i've never done much leech trapping um but as a kid we had a little hill i lived on the river so we had a hill in up over to the dike where the river was and so my dad taught me this trick back in the day and i don't know but we would put a big black tarp out then we'd put the hose out and the water would run perfectly down the hill and you do yep. that for about 20 minutes you know and then you flip it over there's just these big juicy crawlers and so like we're grabbing worms and it's like flip it over so it's like okay you got half an hour and now you have three dozen worms and i was like that was a sweet kind of simulates the rain or something like that yeah the dark okay it it simulates the dark like it's night and it's rain i mean that's what i was always told and i wasn't gonna Mm -hmm. argue because it worked and i was getting a bunch of night crawlers and i don't uh, care what the uh, reason is it works (laughs) yeah so i i've been like i need to try that one around at uh, our house over here, but I haven't tried it yet since I moved to Park Rapids. But yeah, yeah. bait's not uh, bait's not cheap. Are you guys dealing with any uh, bait shortages up there at all? Um, I know uh, during COVID, uh, minnows were hard to come by, um, and I don't know what the process is for minnows. And I know these last two years we've had ice off pretty late. Like last year, I found as far as leaching and. Um, just even fishing, everything seemed to be like two, maybe three weeks behind. And this year the ice came off even later, but the leaching didn't seem to be impacted as much. I don't think, um, definitely the water temperatures are, are different than what they were last year. I've found where I've been fishing, but, um, so there was a bit of a delay as far as, cause I, from what I've researched, no one's actually figured out really a, um, what would you want to say an agricultural way to deal with leeches? I think there's one guy in the state somewhere who's figured out, but it's just insane amount of water and oh, yeah. big setup that he has. Otherwise, mm-hmm. lots of these guys that are doing it commercially are still going out and trapping and everything like that, right? So if you're not like if if everything's late, they're late as well with their trapping, which is then late to get to the to the gas stations for the bait and stuff. So um, we have had not shortages but delays, I would say, in yeah. some of the bait coming in for sure. That's been a big kind of hot topic this year in Minnesota is we had so much snow, so much ice that we're starting to get a lot of winter kill on a few of our smaller mm-hmm. lakes. And so, you know, a lot of the ponds that they trap are getting winter kill. And so they've actually, I think they've been talking with some legislators about uh, trying to be able to supplement that somehow. Um, it seems like it's rebounded decent. Like we're actually able to get a decent amount of bait. Um, right. But right away, there was some pretty big red flags of like, man, I don't know if we're going to get get some bait. I don't know if you know John Thielen at all. He uh, does some stuff with the Lindners and some of his media stuff. Um, Got some TV stuff going on, but he kind of came in and talked and was just talking about like, hey, we need bait, you know, and this is a whole different topic, but it was just, uh, yeah, something that I'm still not sure if anybody knows where we're at, if we're like going to be okay or not, but I know it's kind of a hot topic right now of like, are we going to have enough minnows? Are we going to not? What's that going to look like? So it's, uh, yeah, any bait right now is at a premium, especially it's not, none of it's cheap anymore either. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. I should just send you down my, uh, I have one of those like Fraybill coolers, bait coolers uh, with like the aerator or whatever. I should just send that down to you, take, give you those Mars bar leeches for when I'm up in the territories because I can't use them. I came back last year and I forgot about them and that fridge did not smell good out in the garage. Oh. It was just dead leeches for the most part. So Yeah, that's the worst. About a year ago, I started, I made a bait tank in my garage out of okay. my freezer 
um, an old freezer. It's got a pump system, so it temperature regulates. So I keep it between like 45 and 55 degrees, and it mm-hmm. has a filtration system because you know I'm using tons of bait all winter long or all summer long, and it's not cheap. So being able to keep bait alive is huge for yeah. me. So I made this bait system, uh, this bait tank. It was just some guys were doing it on YouTube, and I tried it, and a buddy of mine had tried it. And he's like, "Oh, this is awesome." So mm-hmm. now I did. I was like, oh, my, this has saved me so much money in bait. Like it paid for I bought a brand new freezer for it specifically. Oh, and yeah. uh, I was like, oh, this has paid for itself easily already. So that's been a, yeah. that's been a game changer right there is keeping some bait alive with that. Oh, I bet. And so is that like live minnows and stuff? Is Yeah. You guys can yep. run those? Okay. Yeah, because we can't yeah. use live minnows up here. Um, yeah, I can't use that. Can't. Uh, they got rid of can't use crayfish not that that was really a thing you bought and and used but i mean if you'd caught some crayfish um can't use those anymore i think specifically just i don't know if it's is it the rusty crayfish or something like that like yeah that, they can be quite bad for the invasives right invasive, so yeah yeah so i know like and i think you used to be able to use frogs but can't do that anymore so you basically to frozen minnows leeches or or worms right like it's, yeah. it's not as much choices there but i mean it's it's different like we've skipped over to manitoba and i've tried i've used live leeches or live minnows once and it was kind of a cool thing to get to do but um i i don't know if if what you would think about this is like a side topic of do you think a lake if you were to compare two lakes that one is allowed live bait and one isn't as far as what the fish are then going to be biting on like do you think that influences them if say you did that for 10 years right like they probably get if you took the the lake that you couldn't use live minnows on and you started doing that like i feel like you get some great eats right because it's maybe something they're not seeing as much but um i don't know i didn't find anything too crazy different when i did it but that could have just been it was a lake we'd never been to before we just stopped on the way home and tried it out so that could have just been our spot too but i didn't know if it was any different really no that's something i mean we've minnows are a huge thing you know in minnesota here you know spot tail shiners early season those things, if you can find them, you know, it's like gold. And this season was a little mm-hmm. harder to find them at times. And so people were driving hours to go get some spot tails. And oh, yeah. um, so I forget that you guys can't use live minnows up there. Cause I mean, that's a, that's a staple for us in a lot of places, you know, right. even, you know, if we're taking families out to go catch some bass and pike or whatever it is, you know, being able to drag a sucker minnow or, you know, yeah, live, live minnows are a game changer for us a lot of times, you know, whether yeah. they actually are or not. But if you go out on a lake and, probably nine out of 10 boats, if not more, are going to have minnows in them, you know? Yeah. Oh, and I think, I think you'd be crazy to think that it's not an advantage, right? Like it's, it's got to help. It's the, it's the thing that they're eating, right? It's not a, it's not a replica of it. It's not a frozen gross version of it, right? Like it's, it's what they're eating. So, I mean, Especially that's got to be. for numbers. Yeah. You know, that's true when too, right? Some of the bigger size, it does seem to be, um, you know, there's times where live bait is going to outperform anything, but it does seem to be, you know, that, that, uh, some of those artificials and you're seeing that a lot on the tournament scene. Um, you know, a lot of guys using artificials to get those big bites, you know, John Hoyer, when he's ripping those big swim baits through the weeds yeah. or, um, Tom Wynn, you know, just got second on the, uh, NWT down here. And he was using a lot of it was, he did use some live bait too, but you know, a little, uh, jig and plastic. And so it does mm-hmm. seem like some of those good bites that you're looking for some of those bigger fish are sometimes triggered by some of those plastics but you're not going to get nearly as many bites or even like yeah. the jigging wraps or the shadow wraps or some of those your uh those can trigger some some big bites at times that's for sure but your live bait generally especially for numbers is is always going to outperform oh yeah for sure and that's i remember when we talked to john he's like we don't use bait 
it's all artificials with that because he's like i can't work i can't work bait the way i work these artificials right like ways ripping them through the water and stuff like that so i mean it, it totally makes sense and I, I feel i don't i've only been in one walleye turn before and it was just on the home lake so but i feel like lots of it's a time thing right so the way you're working these baits and stuff you're not probably not just going to sit there and watch a slip bobber for 10 minutes because you're probably like i could be out casting at something else searching right like it's it's really different so i could see why they don't do that but i guess as far as your method so we kind of talked about where you're looking for these walleye and stuff in the spring for the basics of that um i guess what are what are you what are you throwing like i know up here they, like we talked about already it's the leeches as uh, jigs slip or stuff like that and one that i've actually picked up on from our two-part episode with gord i think it was episode nine and ten with gord Pizer was i've taken to jerk baits in shallow especially once the sun goes down i've been mm-hmm. doing that and that's been probably one of my favorite bites now in the, in the spring especially um is what is one thing we've been doing too but kind of what are what are you finding yeah again it so much depends on the lake but we were on a you know there can be a pretty good bite early something similar you know throwing some sort of crankbait up shallow you know you're gonna yeah. catch smallies you're gonna catch pike you're gonna catch walleyes uh and that's such a fun bite because you know like you were saying like they just crush them you know, and they, when they go after those hard baits like that, a lot of times you get some decent size. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a super fun thing to do, but I'm, I love when I can get on a good jig and minnow bite. I don't know. There's, there's not much better than a jig, bite. you know, you're feeling that and you just feel that thump and, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know that, that will just never get old to me. So I love pitching jigs whenever I can, especially pitching jigs shallow. Right. Um, but like when we were on leech the other day, it was, man, they just did not want to, uh, they did not want to bite a minnow for whatever reason, whether it was the column or whatever it was. So we, we decided like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to switch things up. I've started fishing a lot of drop shots recently. And so I was like, we're going to just get super finesse and we're just going to let this thing hang in their face. Cause you know, we were seeing them on the live scope and they weren't even hardly following this, the, the minnow. And so we pitched out a jig and le- or a drop shot and leech. And yeah. all of a sudden they start following at least. And we're like, Oh, this is, this is what's going to be happening. You know? So I love when you need to slow down like that, pitching a drop shot or a slip bobber. Um, if I can get away with something more aggressive or even like a jig and minnow. I like that. But if you have to finesse it with a slip bobber drop shot and you know, then what I would kind of do is I would, we'd work over these pods of fish. So we'd see them on the side imaging. We'd throw the live scope down and we cast to them and we'd throw everything we could at them um, mm-hmm. to try to get as many fish out of that group as we could. And then it seemed like, so then once we were kind of done with a bite window or once we, okay, those are some of the active fish that were biting on leeches or crawlers or minnows or whatever it was. Um, we tried to finesse it as much as we could. And then always at the end, I would throw out the shadow wrap, um, yeah. you know, and I would just, cause sometimes when you throw those out, if that's the first thing you throw out at a group of fish, it might, might spook, spook them. them, you know, yeah. Oh, it's crazy on the live scope. You see, you get one rip and all of a sudden they all scatter and then your pod, mm-hmm. your group of fish that usually stays pretty tight. They're scattered all over the place and they'll come back together eventually, but it takes a little while. So I like to wait till the very end to throw something like that out. Unless I'm on like a really good run and gun bite or I'm targeting just the specific bigger fish, especially mm-hmm. out on deeper. So yeah. I'm, you know, we'll go f- kind of finesse them, and then right at the end, throw out a shadow wrap for a few for a few uh, casts, and almost always, I think three out of the last four groups or something like that that we fished, it was like okay, we'd finesse them, throw out that shadow wrap, and we'd almost always get like one or two more bites, and you know yeah. they'd seen everything else coming by, but that that reaction bite is just so different. I, I love it. Oh, jigging wraps, you yeah. know, any of those reaction glide baits like that. Oh, I just I just get a kick out of it because it's if there's something if I need like okay, these fish aren't biting. I'm going to throw something like that at them and that's going to be my 100% confident bait on like triggering a bite. If you have finicky fish, yeah. I do that a lot with clients or talk about them like, Hey, here's what you can do. 
And a lot of times it works. So we kind of finished that off. So we'd go finesse, 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 um, whatever we needed to get bites and then finish it off with a, something a little more reaction bite and always pull out at least, you know, a couple more fish on some of those ones that were looking, but weren't ready to go yet. And even yeah. there's a couple of times I had them follow, I could see them on the live scope and I'd be ripping it, you know, and they'd follow right back to the boat. And there was a couple of times where I even like let it sit on bottom and I would just slowly pull up like totally not reaction style now, but it was still yeah. this big hard bait slowly pull up and they'd hit it on that because they'd follow it back and i don't know if mm-hmm. they're thinking okay now it's dead and they're just kind of you know eyeing it up a little bit and then it starts moving again and then they want to hit it um yeah. but it, that was right underneath the boat sometimes in like 14 feet of water out of pretty pretty clear body of water that you think they'd no chance they're going to stay under your boat in that clear of water so yeah those yeah. are a lot of the tactics that i like to use um anything you know especially as the weeds start coming up and you're on a good weed edge bite i use drop shots a lot because you can work them through the weeds pretty easily or a jig in a minnow you know something like that those are a lot of the a lot of the baits that i will start using and like for guiding i love the slip bobber drop shot combo because yeah even people have so not a lot of experience too. yeah people can do yeah. it and they can find success with it i don't know how many times i've had people come back and like oh send me all that stuff that you use for slip bobbers or send me that what you use for drop shots like man we've never yeah. caught fish like that and we, we want to learn how to do it and um it's, it's pretty cool to see people like have that glimmer of hope in fishing and the fact of like okay we've been out fishing so many times and we, don't, we can't catch these fish and now they're like okay yeah. now i actually have something in my toolbox that i can use you know to go catch these fish and you know i'm sure you've been the same way if you like watch a youtube video of someone like doing something and they caught fish yeah. that way and now i like i'm gonna go buy that and i like i'm gonna go catch fish right now you know it gives you that little like okay yeah that's gonna be the ticket and sometimes it is sometimes it isn't but yeah. always fun trying something new and that's why i like that they came out that shadow wrap you know something for, like, for some shallower applications you yeah. know something a reaction like that can get some of that shallower stuff has been been key you know and we we just got it in the states you know more recently yeah you guys we had, had it we earlier, had it earlier. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah i know i was here and i was like oh man i'm so jealous because i've been looking for something like that you know we've been snap jigging plastics a lot and stuff like that but mm-hmm. um there's something about that fall and that jerk of that uh that jigging wrap is is key yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's a lot slower right as as opposed to to what everyone was originally running right and, yeah it just um, kind of yeah yeah and i like i it. think one thing i like though too is that it's a bigger body right i feel like i don't know what I don't know nothing about a fish's eyes, but to me, I'm like, I'm ripping this, say, say I'm ripping a jigging wrap in 25 feet. I'm like, what are the odds they even see this thing? Like I'm sitting on them anyways, but this is, this thing's tiny. Even you go to the biggest size, it's still not a big profile. Right. But then when you get to the shadow wraps, it's like, oh, this is, this is bigger size. It's not as it falls so much different and stuff like that. But just for the sight aspect of it, I kind of like that better because I just feel like the odds of them seeing it are a lot higher too yeah for sure especially with the reaction style i i love the number seven jigging wrap for most of the summer i'll move to like mm-hmm. a nine or a little bigger profile if i'm targeting like bigger fish or as it gets later in the fall so i would yeah. like to see I don't, I don't know for sure i couldn't find anything smaller than a nine in the shadow wrap and that might be the smallest size um in the shadow wrap but i i wouldn't mind seeing like a seven just a little bit smaller profile and it can drop even a little bit um slower um, right would be something that i i would utilize at least but i don't know if that's always you know, marketable or, uh, that's, right. that's something maybe they have in the works too. So what the logistics we'll of it are. Yeah. I've been yeah. liking it. I, I feel like it's kind of filled a void in that shallow water reaction bite, mm-hmm. uh, that there's been options, but nothing quite like that. So I've been, I've been happy with that bait. So I use that one anytime I can use a reaction style bait. Like I use it a lot. Um, but yeah. again, a lot of times it's after I work over some of these fish because it can easily spook fish. I mean, I'm seeing fish on the live scope, especially when they're out deep and you're ripping a 
uh, reaction style bait like that around. And sometimes they can just be honest. They just hate it. You know, <laughs> yeah. They either want it and they're going to crush it or they, it can spook a whole school pretty quick. So it's, yeah. it's really interesting seeing some of these, some of these things on, on the live scope and some of the stuff you can learn. Oh yeah. Like I've just, I've, we'll, we'll get into it soon here. I think we'll actually probably make this a two-parter because we're already at 55 minutes. So we'll do it. We'll get, we'll have a live scope specific, specific episode, but I noticed that just a little bit. I've used the live scope this spring. Even sometimes I'm throwing a, I know, I know it's not a perch for sure. And I, I just don't know if it's a walleye or a pike just from being off in the distance, but I see, I see that mark there and I, I throw my, um, slip bobber out there and it's spooking them sometimes i'm like really like what's going on there so like you said throwing out a reaction bait too it's like they would have nothing to do with that so that's 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 a good point there and that's that could almost transition us into the live scope talk a bit but before i guess we end this part one episode um like when you're talking about the the slip bobbers and and your clients and stuff mentioned using it may long and it's like i have my girlfriend in the back my buddy's girlfriend they may be looking at their phone, whatever. I look back, I'm like, both your guys' bobbers are gone. Like, just start reeling, right? And it's it's, right. it's funny because most anything else you're using, they're, they're going to feel it, so they will pay attention. That's one thing. Um, they kept yep. saying that. Well, I can't feel the bite. It's like, yeah, because it's a bobber sitting out there, right? Like, right. You're, unless you're tight, you're not going to feel that. So um, mm-hmm. that is one nice thing for maybe people, especially some of the people that it sounds like that you'd be guiding that aren't into fishing as much, mm-hmm. maybe not paying as much attention that that slip bobber can go down and the fish can just be swimming around there. It's kind of clueless and it gives people a lot more chance to hook up to it. Like the, the one tournament I fished, I think it was the guy that ended up winning it. Him and his wife were out in the boat fishing it together. They'd be dealing with his fish. Her bobber's been down for like a minute and a half as they deal with his fish. And we're like, our bobbers that day, we're fishing right by him. Our bobbers are like, just like getting nipped. Like it goes down for half a second. It comes back up. Whereas hers is like minute and a half, two minutes. It's down. She comes back. Oh, where my barber goes starts real another walleye. We're like, really? Like, what's going on there? But uh, as a side note to that, I wanted to ask, what are you using as your bobber stop? Like, I know lots of I've seen two different kinds. One's like that little rubber bead, and then the ones I have right now, just because I haven't found many of the rubber beads, is just the knot, like the green, uh, green material there but what are what are you using because i'm getting very tired of these this green material <sighs> for these knots because it just makes me so mad but also kind of sucks with the black the black beads too so yeah and and to be 100 honest i don't know if i've found anything that i am like in love with you know mm-hmm. i've used a ton of different things um anytime i see something out there it's like oh that could work you know and then i try it and it's like uh so i have also used like those little thread um and what i try yeah. to do is i try to tighten it up as much as I possibly can and then trim it as close as I possibly can, you know, still right. maybe a little bit so I could grab it with a couple pliers if I need, if I need to tighten it up, if it loosens up or whatever, yeah. um, you know, cause especially like even it happens to myself, like casting out some of those, especially on a little bit deeper bite. Yeah. I'm like work with clients or fishing myself. And it's like, okay, there's a pot of fish 50 feet that way. Like that's where we need to cast. And then you're trying to pitch it out there and a, gets caught on the guide or whatever it is yeah and then all of a sudden now it's i don't know 30 feet the other direction or whatever Mm -hmm. it is and it's it's crazy how precise you have to be sometimes so it does get get frustrating at times but yeah that's what i i run is a uh you know i'll have my swivel um to my floral but i run everything on on braid for my slip bobber rods and then i uh use the thread because that's what i found to be the thinnest but yet still holds good and Mm -hmm. and if you trim it down pretty good it can get through the guides um decent but then you're running the risk of it coming undone and 
then, yeah. uh, then you have to that's retool true. everything. And that's the worst thing about slip bobbers is like all the little pieces that you have to put together. Like when I'm rigging yeah. up guide rods for the year and like getting stuff ready, it's like, oh, some of them just take a little bit longer. It's like, it'd be nice to just tie a jig on, but rigging up yeah. slip bobber rods and all that kind of stuff is a little bit more tedious, but it's uh that's half the fun too, is getting everything rigged up and ready to rock. So yeah, I've been, yeah. I've been happy with the thread. Um, like I said, I don't, I haven't found like that perfect solution of like, oh my gosh, this is a deal breaker. And I've talked to a lot right. of people and I've tried a lot of different things. And from what I've heard, what I've seen, I haven't found, it doesn't seem to be like a perfect solution on that. Yeah. I guess that can be the one downside to slip bobbing then. Cause that's like, I, I trim mine too. And it's like, it's either I can hardly grab it to tighten it up when it needs to be. Cause then every time you're bringing in a fish, it's just sitting at the end of the rod. Right. Cause it's too loose. And when you do use the little, the little rubber stoppers, it's well, if those get into your bail, like you said, when you're doing deeper water, especially if I find the line bites into that a lot and doesn't really cast out as well. And so it's, it, it's kind of, I guess there's no, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's, it's a great way to fish, but I guess it, there's gotta be some hardship to it. So no, that was, oh, that yeah. was interesting. I just curious how you do that. Nothing better than I'm out on a guide trip here and I have my clients in the boat and I'm like explaining them how to do it or whatever. Um, I'm showing them like, okay, they're 50 over feet over here. And so I'll kind of cast out or whatever. And all of a sudden the, the, if I don't have it tied tight enough or if it's, and all of a sudden it gets caught and it just looks like I've never casted anything before yeah. in my life. And they're like, wait, we're paying you to do this. And you know, most yeah. people are like, oh yeah, we, we get it. But it's uh, nothing, nothing worse than trying to throw out a slip bobber and gets caught up. Oh but yeah. Yeah. Being able to tighten them down pretty good and, and trim some of that. I've had pretty good, pretty good success of them not getting hung up. Right. And I guess if you're slip bobbing, like most of the slip bobbing I'm doing is like 15 feet or shallower. Um, lots of the time but if you're going deeper than that um, I guess it depends too what you're running like I usually just a split shot like a foot and a half up is what is what I've been doing when I first started and didn't didn't know as much I was like oh I'll just tie a jig on here that'll be my weight and I'm like that kind of defeats the, the I guess the whole idea of being just the leech right and being low profile but what are if you're going deeper what are you what are you running for that just a, like a bigger split shot or so what I typically do is I'll do so I'll have my braid is my main line Yep. And then I'll tie a small swivel. Um, so I'll, and on that I'll have my bobber stop and then I'll have like a small egg sinker. Yeah. Um, and so that way it can slide up and down and I don't do any split shot. So that slides right to the, uh, swivel. And then right. from there I have my fluorocarbon either to my plane hook or my jig. Right. And that I, well, it depends on if it's windier, I will put a little bit heavier weight um, and then especially I like to use a jig and a weight, you know, if it's windy, so then you can pitch that out. You have a little bit bigger bobber, uh, then you can really get that bait down there. And a lot of what I do is I'm fishing fast. So yeah. if I know they're in a finicky mood and I don't want to throw a jig and wrap or, you know, some sort of reaction style bait at them, you know, I'll, I'll put a heavier, I have one set up, one slip bobber set up that's a little heavier rig so I can get it down there because they move so much, you know. And right. so if I want to get it down there, I'm trying to lead it a little bit and get it out in front of them so I can get down and they can see it. So then I do it a little bit heavier, but yeah, I use it. I use an egg sinker. So I have my braid right. egg sinker to a swivel and then down to my floral and depending on, you know, two to four feet, um, okay. depending on what I do to, yeah. uh, to get to my jig or my plane hook or whatever, whatever I'm using. I've actually had better luck with like a small little short chain jig, um, that I have okay. with a plane hook often days, some days, some days the plane hook is better, but I don't mm -hmm. know what it is. It's a, uh, I've had better luck with that just uh just the j little jig head which is kind of surprising because i thought yeah more natural let it swim around but mm -hmm. for whatever reason well, we, we i slip bobber a lot with my clients yeah and i i think that would make sense i guess i haven't thought about it too much but even just look on the live scope now how long it takes just that plain hook to get past 
past your your swivel there right and then making its way down so and depending on the size of the leech honestly they could manipulate where that hook is quite a bit so if you want to oh, be sure. right in that certain area off the bottom or whatever that leech could be changing that right or whatever it's just Absolutely. it's not not acting right so that would make sense that jig just holds it there right and that just sits in its that walleye's face when it's looking at it and it's staying there the whole time so so that makes that makes sense for sure and i'll, I'll have to try the that out with the with the egg weight there up above because i i do have seem to have depending obviously wind whatever stuff like that when you are casting it out can get tangled up but i think that's just the nature of it as well mm-hmm. right but it all depends on um like i've tried running no swivel too um just and it just uh, running fluoro on my whole spool but running no swivel and letting that bobber go down it definitely helps for casting but just with the weight and stuff like that it kind of gets difficult right so yeah i mean there's lots of different ways to do it but the biggest thing is especially now with the live scope is finding a way that you can cast that out when like you said the fish is 50 feet away or whatever right yeah yeah and i really like those thill wobble bobbers um those have become kind of my favorite bobbers they seem you know with the brass inserts like that they really seem to let the line slide through nicely and quickly and they're easy to see they're easy to stand up you know they're not going to sit sideways or anything like that and yeah. um, so that's kind of been my setup for slip bobbering is is uh with those those kind of components right there right so i guess to end to end this part one episode what are you doing as your way to check that your depth on your bobber is correct like i know some people will clip a weight on right down to the bottom they can kind of see how how far they are because right if you're if you are running that say two to three feet and then your weight you might not know necessarily if your bobber's not sitting sideways your weight could be above but you've got two feet of floral on the bottom or something right so what are you what are you doing to to get your depths right i'm i'm 100 just using my live scope um okay. to be honest a lot of times you know like probably up maybe like two weeks here or so we're gonna get some really big schools of fish that are getting off of some of the like mid-lake structure and it's one of my favorite times of the year. It doesn't happen on every lake, but they get these big schools of fish and they're just kind of cruising the edges of this structure. So they might be 30, 40, 50 feet off it. Right. And so they might be sitting over 40, 50 feet. Oh, but they're, they're only down. Yeah, they're only down like yeah. 15, 20 feet. And so you can see them on the live scope. And so what I do is I'll, you know, sometimes just set it right down underneath me and I'll just see, okay, am I down at 15 feet? Do I see right. my jig sitting at 15 feet? And then, okay, now I'm going to pitch it out and let it, go 50 feet or you know 70 feet one way if that's where the school is and the other thing that i i tend to lean to is i i lean to having my bait be higher as opposed as opposed to lower Um, okay seem to trigger more fish and sometimes if i'm letting my bait fall right in the middle of that school and i'm not getting bites um sometimes i'll go a little bit shallower so then you know if that's the live scope that school is right here and that bait sitting up here just that little bit of curiosity you know, sometimes they see one fish swimming up for it, then more fish will come up because like, oh, what yeah. are you going for? You know, the competition. And then the competition kind of starts. But when it drops yeah. right in them, it's sometimes, um, sometimes that's a ticket. But if I'm not getting bites and my bait's right in them, I'll set it up above them, even like two, three feet, you know. And like I said, we have a lot of clear bodies of water around here. So their visibility is very good. They can see it a lot of times a lot farther than what yeah. we think. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I set my depth. I check it on my live scope, basically right underneath the boat. Or another really easy thing to do is like, say if I have a seven foot rod. You that's know, what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, if my bait's right at the very end, my sub, okay, that's about 14 feet, you know, if it's double. Yeah. Um, so that's a really easy way to check. Um, especially it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't need to be super dialed in uh, because mm-hmm. those fish will swim to it. Uh, if they're if they're in an active mood, sometimes it has to be like the perfect, right there. you know, one foot right above them or whatever it is. But yeah, that's one of my favorite bites is 
getting them on the live scope and clients love it. You know, they're like, wait, those are actually fish over there. And it's like, <laughs> but it's, it's important, you know, how precise your casts are. I had a group last year and it was a group of four. It was a grandpa, a dad, a son and a daughter. And, you know, we were all out fishing and this daughter was, she was just like right on, on the cast every time she didn't even want to come. She woke up and she's like, yeah, I don't even want to do this. And, you know, she was getting, yeah. and she's pitching cast and she's just casting exactly where I tell her. And she's, and she's like, catches like the first seven walleyes. And, you know, the first few fish, they were all like, oh yeah, you know, good job. That was cool. And then by the end of it, they're like, what are you doing? Like, uh, and they're starting yeah. to get mad. And she was like, see, they're like, aren't you glad you came with? And, uh, it was, it was a good time, but yeah, it's amazing how precise you need to be at times. Um, but that's mm-hmm. a super fun bite when they get off the edges of the structure and something you don't even see sometimes on side imaging of where they're at and being able to pitch those slip bobbers to them like that is a super fun bite. Yeah, for sure. So I guess to end this episode, TJ saying, if you want to slip Bob, get a live scope so you can set your depth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Instead yeah. of buying a, you know, $1 weight, just buy a live scope. It's <laughs> yeah. Have multiple uses and you get to see how, how deep your slip bobber is, but no, we'll, uh, that's where we'll end this one for now. And then uh, I guess we're going to keep recording here, but, um, stay tuned for part two of this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed part one there. Um, it's great getting to talk to TJ. This is the first time we were able to talk vocally here. It's always been over the DMs, but great guy to talk to and tons of information, as you could tell from that first episode there. Um, and you're definitely going to want to stay tuned for our next one that's coming out. Part two is focusing heavily on live scope, uh, whether you're beginner, intermediate. I've used it a ton. He has a bunch of great information there to help you understand it better. And obviously, if you if you check out his socials, they've He's got so many great videos and on YouTube and then some cute, cool shorts and stuff on, on Instagram where it's showing how powerful LiveScope can be. So definitely check that out. But we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, before we end it off here, just wanted to give a quick thanks again to 13 Fishing for being the presenting sponsor. Uh, use our code WeekendWarriors, save yourself 15% off uh, on, on all their brands on the website there. Like we said, we're in spring here. Great time to stock up on some of that inventory for for open water season. But yeah, be sure to stay tuned for part two of this. And thank you for tuning into this episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on your favorite listening platform so we can reach more anglers just like you. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for media updates and behind-the-scenes content.